Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week, is politics turning too nasty? According to my office, they have just reported about five, if not more, tweets to the police. The EU withdrawal bill is savaged. And I ask the government to reconsider silly amendments thrown out because they got a good article in the Daily Telegraph. And universal credit delays are really starting to bite. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, and joining me this week, I have Kate Forrester. Hello, Kate. Hello. Hello, Mr. Paul War. How are you? Fine, thank you. And Ned Simons, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'll ask myself that every week. Yeah, good. Good to have you there, Ned. Uh, let's crack on, shall we, with the debate which everyone is completely obsessed by, not Brexit. Uh, but I want to talk about the tone of the debate because we saw the Daily Telegraph this week brand 15 potential Tory rebels as Brexit mutineers in a front page story. One of those so-called mutineers, Anna Subri, raised a point of order in the Commons on Wednesday, revealing her office had been forced to report at least five offensive and threatening Twitter posts to the police following the article's publication on Tuesday evening. Let's have a listen. According to my office, they have just reported about five, if not more, tweets to the police um, issuing threats against myself following the front page article uh, on today's Straight. Daily Telegraph. And would you, therefore, Mr Speaker, make it very clear to everybody, in whatever capacity, that they have an absolute duty to report responsibly and make sure they use language that actually brings our country together yeah, and, yeah. and make sure that, sure that we have a free speech, have a democracy that welcomes free speech and an attitude of tolerance. Uh, other MPs on that list of mutineers include Father House Ken Clark, former Minister Nicky Morgan, ex-Attorney General Dominic Grieve and Select Committee Chairs Tom Tuganat and Sarah Wollaston. One Twitter user quipped, they sound like quite a good cabinet in waiting. Actually, let's have a little chat about that first of all before we get onto the main issue of Brexit. I thought we were all kind of gender politics now. I thought after the, the kind of ferocity of the, um, the referendum campaign itself and, and all the kind of, you know, crush the saboteur stuff which sort of backfired against Theresa May in the election front pages like this don't actually help Theresa May in the Brexiteers do they? Quite the opposite surely Well I don't know the one thing that worried me was yeah the the EU referendum debate was really ferocious but the one outstanding moment in that campaign near the end was of course the death of Joe Cox and it's I'm not suggesting that the Telegraph are inciting violence against these mutineers but you know, there are people out there who are already maybe prone to doing something daft. And as Anna Subri pointed out, you know, then they, they don't need much of an excuse. But if they were given an excuse, they've got one now. They've got all these mugshots of people that are, have got targets basically on their foreheads, effectively. Can we just talk about how happy they all look, though? In those I want to know where those photos came <laughs> they're from. The official, yeah. they're the they're official, official Parliament photos. Yeah, Parliament did this yeah. thing where I think MPs were sick of people using rubbish Wikipedia photos of them. So they got them to all post these wonderful sort of 
almost like grey, bluey, washed pictures, yeah. them smiling. Yeah. Like a CNA catalogue, yeah. really weird one. But Paul Masterton, who's one of the Scottish Tory MPs, said that his picture does nothing to detract from the fact that his nickname at school was the Shermanator. Because <laughs> <laughs> he really looks... Uh, that's an American Pie reference there, Paul. I don't know if you've ever seen that team. I film. don't know what that movie no, is. What means. Uh, but, but Ned, I mean, Paul's right, surely. I, we've heard nothing, have we? No, and, around this. and essentially that was sort of kind of just the posher version of the saboteur's Daily Mail front page. So I think it is, it is a bit worrying, that kind of tone around it. There's nothing wrong with newspapers saying, this is how some MPs have voted. This is what they've said. That's perfectly fine. But it's just that the way it was done, I think the word mutineers particularly is what the problem was. Because you could have done a front page um, with pictures of those people in a kind of positive way or in a neg- negative way that was, wasn't quite so sinister you, 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 know, you can't have a situation where you can never talk about what MPs are saying or how they voted but I, I did I mean despite the fact that the, the tone of it was quite worrying you've got to say on purely journalistic terms in print newspaper terms it was actually you might say a stroke of genius because hmm. it used the broadsheet front page in a way broadsheet front pages are meant to be used you know big bold front page headline you can't get that kind of impact online you've got to say you can in some ways oh, Paul can we just uh, uh, hang on a second we'll, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll cut that out I hate to be heretical about this but you know it shows that there is still a role for newspaper front pages it's and not there is there is and it did look really good you've got to say the Daily um, Mail were so jealous they hadn't thought of the same idea but then again as I say because it's a broadsheet you can get more pictures on there and that's why I suppose today the Daily Mail have tried but, to pie catch up but that's what I mean in the sense that in presenting a news in that way, you can imagine a front page that looked like that, where the message wasn't quite so uh, worrying for some MPs or triggering a backlash in a certain way, couldn't you? Just how it looked, I thought, was really good. Well, there we are. Um, moving on to the debate itself, David Davis, when he gave a, a feedback of negotiations this week uh, in Parliament, he he announced a sort of a uh, some said it was a U-turn because he was going to put in primary legislation a vote on the UK's withdrawal bill, and I heard this and I thought. I, I show we thought this is nonsense because everyone was going, oh, this is Keir Stubb, what a great U-turn. But all he's giving is MPs a vote on whether you accept the deal that they do or we leave on no yeah. deal terms. So the only people who have done well out of this are the people who want to leave on no... John Redwood's loving it. John yeah. Redwood's going, great, <laughs> now I get a vote directly on no deal. And we've spoken about this in this podcast before, we have haven't indeed. we? I so we might have. Ev- everyone absolutely lost their shit when that happened as if it was this massive surprise. Mm. And to me, it struck me as, well, hasn't that been the case kind of all along for a while? I mean, the problem with it is that there are two new things this week. One was this idea of a brand new bit of legislation on on the final deal. That was one gimmick. The other gimmick was writing into the face of the bill the actual exit day, the day we leave. Now, this is the the real problem for Theresa May, though, because... um, David Davis announced this through the Telegraph uh, well, last there because Friday. I want to hear this from you, but I also want to hear this from Ken Clark, who brought ah. this very thing up in the Go. Commons. Let's have a listen. There are some very, very serious issues to be settled in this bill, and I ask the government to reconsider silly amendments thrown out because they got a good article in the Daily Telegraph, which actually might do harm. Ken Clark saying it was all to get a good article in the Telegraph. Sorry, Paul, carry on. No, you're right. I mean, and, and that's the point, which is that... There was this other development, which was David Davis announcing that exit day will be written into the bill. Now, um, when the bill was first produced, it was really quite strange. It seemed that there was it it wasn't defined as being March 29th or 30th, 2019. It was just called the exit day and ministers had a power to change it. Now, it's another example of how ministers have a power to change lots of things in the EU withdrawal bill. But this one is quite fundamental. Now, 
what seems to have happened is that under pressure from people like uh, Michael Gove and Boris Johnson, um, David Davis and Theresa May decided, well, let's let's buy a bit of goodwill with some Brexiteers. We may be having to spend a lot more money to get the deal we want. So maybe to buy that off, we'll reassure the Brexiteers that actually Brexit is really happening. We're going to write it down. It's happening. There's no way around it. The problem with that is, as instantly people like Dominic Grieve have pointed out and all the the Tory Remainers, is that it boxes you in potentially into your negotiation position. It it undermines our our hand when we're saying to Brussels, even like with a few weeks to go, um, but can we we have a, a bit more time? There is no more time. So it builds in, it bakes in the deadline, makes it even harder for our negotiators. That's one argument. But that's working on the principle that EU would give us extra time well, anyway. And can we go back to David Davis's kind of infamous select committee appearance where he caused all that trouble by saying the vote might not happen until after the kind of midnight, 29th, whatever it is. Putting in a kind of 11pm UK time, that's when we leave. He said in that committee that he expects the negotiations to run perhaps 24, 48 or 72 hours longer. He says that's how the EU works and that's what he expects to happen. So if we put into law that we leave at 11pm, which is midnight Brussels time, isn't it? Then we're going to be leaving before we've actually we'll be done leaving, the deal. We'll be it's leaving a, anyway. I think Dominic Grieve's arguing a wrong Well, point the here. reason that Dominic Grieve and all these other Tory rebels are so upset about it is they genuinely think anything that undermines our negotiating position with with Europe is actually disastrous for the economy. It could potentially lead to a chaotic no Brexit outcome. That that's all, that's the one thing that they're all really terrified about, and it's the one thing they might even rebel on. We've talked before in this podcast about how flaky and unreliable the Tory Remainers are when it comes to re- actually rebelling and voting against. Yeah, they might abstain. Yeah, they might complain, but will they actually vote against their own government and against their own whip with the threat of Jeremy Corbyn hanging in the background and a government and a snap election? Well. What's interesting has been the way the numbers game has been sort of talked about this week. You know, the whole point of that Daily Telegraph front page is it had 15 Tory rebels on it. Now, that wasn't a coincidence. 15 is the number that's needed to defeat the government. Why? Because there are about at least six Labour leavers who build up, add to the government's already already working majority of about 13. So, in effect, you need 15 rebels to defeat anything from this government on Brexit because there are some, a chunk of Labour people. So, But the problem with that 15 figure is, and the problem with that front page was, I'm pretty sure quite a few of those who were listed are not going to rebel against the government. And in other words, this is all an expectations management game. Didn't, didn't I see today that they think it's gone up to 20 now? Yeah. There's talk that it's gone up to 20. Well, that's well, why I, I think speaking... it is a poker game. You know, the standard mm. said it could be more than 20 or 21. But you see... I was that... speaking to a, Tory, a, 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 a experienced Tory Eurosceptic yesterday and they said to me that they were extremely confident they had the numbers to get everything through. Yeah, well, that's the point. The whips they, they, are confident they as well. We're absolutely confident. They think that they, these people will peel off as soon yeah. as they're, you know, not let alone threats in their local constituency associations. But they think they'll, they'll peel off. The question is now what DD and Theresa May do. Do they, don't, do they back down? And sort of fudge this exit day. And don't forget, last week, Dominic Grieve was really shrewd. He spotted on the same day that David Davis wrote this into the bill, this date, he also had another amendment which gave ministers a reserve power to change it. Well, that was already in there. Yeah, but he updated it this week, the government. And so Grieve called it a double deceit. The problem for Grieve, however, is if that is the case, why are you getting so upset? If there is a safety valve for the exit day, 
then the Whips might say, what's your problem? And so might David Davis. Well, it's, it's true, because it's got these Henry VIII pounds you said before. And one thing that this putting the date in does do is this, the all these Henry VIII powers have a two-year sunset clause. And ministers can't use them after two years after the exit day. Now, the exit day was never specified. So it was always like, well, you could deem the exit day. We won't probably left until five years' time. Putting this in actually will buy off some of those concerns about the Henry VIII powers as well. Because now, these will have to expire in 2021. And well, I there is that, that element really, to it. And no one's really mentioned that, but I think that's quite... I think that when those amendments come before the House, I think that'll be quite an, quite an important thing. Um, I just finally want to ask you guys, are we bored of Brexit? Because <laughs> we've, got, we've got another, what, six days of this? Of the of, of, of committee stage. Of committee stage of this. Well, I, look, we're already bored of the, of, of the debate. But I do, I do think, although a lot of the, the debate over the, you know, 16 hours of debate we had just this week, and we're going to have many more hours in weeks to come, although... It ended in very little in terms of real change. The most all the amendments fell. The government had the numbers. Um, it did allow some not reheating of the arguments. That that was the worst bit of the debate when it was reheated. But it did allow some fine performances. You know, Ken Clark, Pretty Patel. Some people actually made some impassioned speeches. Yeah, I was a bit bored, and after this week, I feel a bit more enthused about it because Ken Clark. Really? Yeah, Ken Clark's speech was good. Like it was, but you don't really see that very. You don't see people clapped from the opposition benches very often in the Commons. That was good. I thought <laughs> I I enjoyed it. Nice bit of theatre. Right. Change. <laughs> be aggressive then. <laughs> I'm sorry for possibly suggesting that Brexit might be dull. Ned, are you bored of Brexit? No. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just yeah, and I think I'm really like, I understand why people could be bored, but it's sort of to me a little bit, a little bit like people saying, "Oh, when there's a general election, oh god, not a general election." Now, if you're a political reporter, yeah. why are you? Why would you be bored of politics? Yeah. And an interesting thing, actually, in a very actually kind of what is maybe a boring subject, I spent a lot this week w- watching kind of customs committees. It's so interesting, and isn't it? It's actually very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And half of me was thinking, "This <laughs> oh is really god. interesting." And half of me was thinking, "This is a disaster." Yes. Why wasn't this debate happening in the actual referendum? All the actual interesting stuff. You're being applauded from a sendry position. Yeah. Yeah. The proper stuff is happening now. Too late, obviously. Yeah. But um, it is interesting. No, I got well into customs, Ned. I'm yeah. totally with you on that. Did, did t- you feel like Ken Clark then? When <laughs> yeah, you got I did, yeah. By being the opposition. Applauded by the opposition. <laughs> I think of Owen, yeah. We need to wave our order papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, let's have a little break from politics, shall we? And talk about a man who's a bit, been a bit of a rebel in this time, maybe. Mr. Richard Branson. Just here to let you know that the audio book of Richard Branson's new autobiography, uh, Finding My Virginity, is called. It's published by Penguin Random House Audio. The unabridged edition is read by Steve West, is out now. And the abridged edition read by Mr. Richard Branson. Is it Sir? Is he Sir Richard Branson? Yeah. Yeah, Sir Richard Branson himself will be out later this year, available to buy from Audible. And that's been 50 years since Richard Branson started his first business. And in the book, the Virgin founder shares his personal, intimate thoughts on five decades as the world's ultimate entrepreneur. So there we are. So that's going to be interesting if anyone wants to be an entrepreneur in this digital age. He's made his money in records, didn't he, to start off with? So he did. I don't think he's going to start off record shops these days. He's done lots of things what since Branson, then. What do you think he'd do he's now? Balloons. He still does balloons, doesn't he? Balloons. Party balloons. Virgin balloons. Party balloons? Or? Yeah, he can do a sort of balloon trip. Oh, I oh you mean like, like balloons helium balloons? I think yeah. he meant like helium balloons. I'm sure he does. Yeah. <laughs> was he hard times? Anyway, so there we are. So it's out, uh, it's out on Audible and uh, it's published by Penguin Random House Audio. I think it's a great name. And he's met some good people, you know, Nelson Mandela, Barack Obama, Bill Gates, Kate Moss, it says here. So I thought you were going to say me then. No, not you, Kate. Have you met him? No. Right. He's Didn't someone here meet him and fall out of him? I think he needs no. to meet Kate. Yeah, he needs to meet Kate. Listening, uh, Sir Richard, come meet Kate Forrester. Anyway, so, that's, uh, <laughs> so have a listen to that. And uh, 
when you when you're bored of this. Anyway, back to politics. Jeremy Corbyn revealed in PMQs this week that hundreds of families on universal credits face eviction because their landlord says the new benefits will put them in rent arrears. The drastic move will force parents and their children out of their homes in the new year. The Labour leader said the eviction notices were yet more proof the rollout of the controversial universal credit system had to be put on pause. Let's have a listen. I was passed a letter, Mr Speaker, from a lettings agency in Lincolnshire where universal credit is about to be rolled out. The agency, and I have the letter here, the agency is issuing all of its tenants with a preemptive notice of eviction because universal credit has driven up arrears where it's been rolled out. The boss of the letting agent which sent out the shock letters told HuffPost UK Theresa May should rethink the benefits and sort it out. Gap Property Director Guy Piggott said no thoughts had been given to the most vulnerable and it was great that Corbyn had raised the issue. Now universal credit is something which he's talked about a lot. Using this example, was that a particularly good bit of political theatre to really sort of give it a slightly fresh angle as we go into budget week? It was very effective, wasn't it? Um, and I think it's helped to sort of bring, not that it's sort of moved from the fore in the last few weeks, but um, today it's given the debate that's happening now as we speak a bit of a boost. Um, it only just started as we came in here, but Frank Field said that um, he didn't have the language to explain the horrors which were being inflicted upon his constituents by the rollout, which is very strong. Um, but it appears that the government just isn't buying that from the Labour benches. Well, not yet, things. anyway. I mean, we may well... I mean, the speculation this week, the government are going to change the waiting time. The, the, the real problem with this universal credit, obviously, is the six-week waiting time, where people literally have no money at all until after six-week period. Then, then the money comes through um, because it's paid in arrears and it's paid over a long period of time. So it's not like a weekly benefit. It's a, it's a six-month delay and then they, they get the money that's owed. Now, the point about this story that... Um, Jeremy Corbyn raised um, and as Kate pointed out is that you know the real impact the human impact of this actually slowly being publicised and in a way that letting agency with its eviction notices really did everyone a favour they they actually became the biggest publicity agent of this whole universal credit you spoke to the guy you spoke yeah to guy I Piggott, spoke to the director of the company called Guy Piggott and he said look you know locally the council isn't telling anyone this is coming in, in Lincolnshire in this area on, on December 13th no one, no one knew locally the council wasn't doing its job Job Centre Plus weren't doing their jobs we had to tell people because actually we've got a financial stake which is you know if, if the money doesn't come in we go bust we're a letting agency so they sent out this warning note now he said to me that basically they hope not to evict anyone but it was really a sort of sit up and take notice moment warning a lot of people that actually this thing was coming and what was most revealing this is a really one of the poorest areas in the country Grimsby as he pointed out the average wage is £17,000 most people are between work or they have you know infrequent work um, and they take whatever work they can to supplement their benefit and he said people came into the office having got that eviction notice and said uh, well, this doesn't affect me uh, what are you talking about and he said yes it does you're, you're on job seekers allowance it will affect you or you've got housing benefit it will affect you and this woman said I'm on working tax credit he said it will affect you another woman came in and said what's universal credit I've never heard of it 
And that just goes to show, despite the fact that we all talk and Westminster talks about universal credit, most people have no idea what it is. They don't even know the phrase if they're not on it already. And that's why this national rollout could become, as has already been said, the Tories' poll tax, because it's so little known. When it does hit you, it'll be too late. Surely this is an easy win, isn't it, for Philip Hammond and the Worker Pension Secretary, David Gork? Because they didn't come up with this. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. It's an easy win. In the same way that everyone always tears out everything Chris Grading's ever done, this is an easy win for them to go in and say, right, we've listened to concerns. Yeah, and there's talk they're going to cut the wait time from six weeks to five weeks or four weeks. But I'm not really sure if that's going to be enough. I mean, if you've got no money for six weeks, that's terrible. Having no money for four weeks isn't suddenly fixing the problem. So I don't know if, if that's their concession or their big gesture, like you say, to try and shut down this criticism or really fix the, the kind of rolling problem that's approaching them. I'm not sure that will work. Especially with the five-week thing, because the argument for a lot of the time is, you know, you get paid once a month, so why are you getting paid in six-week blocks? So you roll it back to four weeks. There's a there's a logic there, but five weeks is just like... I know. It's, yeah, it's like kind of splitting the difference. Yeah. You know, we don't want to go to four, because that's too much of a concession. Yeah. So and we'll it's it too much money, crucially. Yeah, don't forget, course, yeah. it costs money to reduce that waiting time, because you need more staff to deliver mm. it. And that's ultimately one of the real problems with this, is how many people, how many staff have been cut in recent years who were needed to deliver this benefit to process it quicker? Because that's how... That, why is there a delay? It's worth asking, why would there be a six-week delay in getting benefit through because there's not enough people processing it and a lot of it I've, someone's told me is because it's waiting for hmrc to process what the person yep. has earned up to the point they've become you know have no longer got a job and therefore to get the figures of how much they're entitled to all that kind of stuff and that takes long because hmrc haven't got the resources to process yeah, but what that. i can't understand and the charities have made this point which is this is a benefit okay it's not a salary salaries most people are used to getting a salary paid in arrears you do your month's work then you get paid for it okay promise but with, but with benefit well sometimes you do yeah. but with benefits why should you have to wait till you get your benefit sure you should get your benefit in advance because it's not a it's not a wage. You get your benefit up front. Why can't this is what a lot of charities say. Pay this up front, your universal credit, and then you've got four weeks after that before you get another payment. What's wrong with that? And that's the radical solution, but it won't be a solution that's adopted by the government for the simple reason that what really drives this is the Ian Duncan Smith idea that it's like a wage and you get it in arrears. And also the supplementary reason, don't forget David Gort worked at HMRC in the Treasury and his big thing was this boring thing called real-time information, which the problem with tax credits was people's living circumstances would change in a dynamic way over a month or over several months and tax credits wouldn't keep up with that. So lots of overpayments, underpayments, and this system, universal credit, is supposed to change all that by having this waiting period beforehand. I feel like what David Gork said in the earlier debate this week is going to come back to haunt him as well, because he dismissed him and other ministers dismissed Labour MPs as scaremongering when they brought up these issues five times in that debate. They used the phrase or a phrase like it five times. Not that I counted, because I'm sad. Um and he keeps saying that there are advanced payments available for people if they're in extreme hardship. Um, so therefore, nobody is going to have to wait long periods of time. And he has said that repeatedly. Nobody will have to wait long periods. And that is just seemingly mm. not the case at all. Well, we, we touched on the budget there, which is uh, being announced next Wednesday, November the 22nd. Uh, lots of speculation about what's going to be in it. One of the things is, will there be money set aside to invest in housing. Theresa May said today she's going to take personal charge of solving the housing crisis. So I'm looking forward to her becoming a brickie. I think <laughs> just uh, wasn't like that. And uh, 
Sajid Javid, the uh, Communities and Local Government Secretary, gave a speech today, which was, I mean, we, there's always these speeches about the housing crisis. Mm. This one was, was pretty hardcore. And he said, uh, even today, I still hear from those who say there isn't a problem with housing in this country, that we don't need to build more, that affordability is only a problem for millennials that spend too much on nights out and smashed avocados. So there we are, the avocado index now is being used. He goes on to say, it's nonsense. The people who tell me this, usually baby boomers who have long since paid off their own mortgage, they are living in a different world and they're not facing up to the reality of modern daily life. That's pretty hardcore stuff there. I mean, this is yeah. we've had this from Sajid over a couple of weeks and we keep saying, oh, we need 50 billion for the housing market. Questions are being asked at PMQs, you know, there's going to be more investment. And Philip Hammond keeps standing up and going, nope, <laughs> absolutely not. We're He's the computer that says no. He is, yeah. I mean, he is really shy. This is, is Theresa May today, is that trying to sort of bounce Hammond into it or is this letting us know what's going to come? I mean, what, how's that power play happening? I mean, don't know, but I think Javid's, um, it's just rhetoric probably, but the rhetoric there of saying to kind of older people, stop blaming young people for not buying houses, not because they're you know, spending their money willy-nilly. That is, I think, the right approach he should take. Because there's nothing more galling for people kind of below the age of 35 being told the reason they've got a house is because they wasted their money on sandwiches. Yeah. It's nonsense. I mean, well, that's why, you know, the... Um, the that's the man who buys um, cucumber-flavoured water, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> is that expensive? No, but that's, that's why... That's why I'm living in a hole, yeah. There was lots of anger this week, wasn't there? Because there was this estate agency, um, I can't remember which one it was, Foxtons or someone, who come out, came out with a survey saying the real... You could, you could, dear millennial, you could save for a house if you didn't have all these takeaways, if you didn't have to go out to the club, if you didn't do this, this and this. And people had worked out it would have taken like, you know, 1,500 years of takeaways actually for them to have afforded even a deposit. But they won't do it though, Paul. They won't <laughs> sacrifice those 1,500 yeah, years, will they? Things are miserable enough at the moment. Without having to give up a curry, and also I like avocados, so and I'm <laughs> smashed or <laughs> or otherwise both. No, there you yeah, go. Yeah. I, I feel like we're, we're focusing on the wrong aspect of this here, guys. <laughs> but, <I must> <laughs> but then again, no, there is a serious point, which is that do the Tories get young people? And that's why. It's like David is doing more. It sounds than like most, David right? is doing is is certainly talking the talk, and he wants the Chancellor to walk the walk next week. But it doesn't look like we're going to. I mean, I've been told the Chancellor's not going to come up with anything amazing in in the budget. It might do something on homelessness, by so the way. Keep, the safety first keep your eye out for that. It might do something on homelessness. A little pocket of cash. Um, but that is a huge, huge problem. That might just be a pinprick. The, but the issue of the youth vote is really important. It's not just Sajid Javid who's saying this to the Chancellor. There's Ben Bradley, who you've, you've interviewed before, uh-huh. and, and is leading a sort of group of young Tories, under 35 Tory MPs, who are the voice of you know modern Britain in that sense, and saying, look, you can't keep banging on about austerity. We need gen- genuine investment now. And don't forget, he's from a seat that they took from Labour, Mansfield, really important seat for the Tories to hold on to next time. And and if somehow beyond this budget you get an, a, a, this chancellor to change his mind or a new chancellor talking about real investment and doing the Theresa May non-Brexit agenda about burning social injustice that might look a bit more status, who knows, the Tories might have a chance. Well, this is what they need to do, isn't it? They need to find something else this government can be known for other than cabinet resignations and Brexit. <laughs> right? I mean, let's talk about because actually Theresa May did all right at PNQs last week. I know we talked about, sorry, this week. I know... We talked about universal credit, but I thought Theresa May gave quite a, a short performance. It helped the first question was about police cuts and therefore a Home Office mm. matter, which she knows very well from being Home Secretary. But I think you know we've had a couple of cabinet resignations. We've had stall in the Brexit talks. We've had Theresa May seemingly under fire. You look at the opinion polls, which of course we don't trust, but 
They're not, Labour are only yeah. two or three points ahead. I think on PMQ specifically, I think one of the reasons she kind of got away with it was that because Corbyn decided to kind of do about five different topics. Mad, and I, I think maybe the idea was to show how the government's in trouble on so many different mm. fronts ahead of the budget. And you've got John McDonnell today saying, you know, we're going to pump 17 billion quid into, into police, into healthcare. So that, I think the idea was, look how messed up they are on all these areas. But doesn't really work in PMQs, as we know. You've got to do it quick, and you've got to have a good you know, hit on each one. That That's quite hard. So I think she did well, but she was helped more by Corbyn's choice. But actually, the, what, what Labour should be doing, and, and has been trying to do, is what Sajid Javid's trying to do. Don't forget, Sajid Javid is a guy, a former banker, right? He's not actually coming at this from a position of somebody who doesn't know how finance works. He's making the Tory case... Why don't we use the government's power and low interest rates to actually invest a lot of money through borrowing? Because borrowing is really low for government through various bonds. Now, that's what people like Ken Livingstone have been saying for a long time. It was a Labour manifesto, it was basically that, wasn't it? For a long time. Look, let's use the fact that government has its own power and interest rates are low. Let's borrow, let's have bonds, and then we can invest in, in infrastructure and all in housing, everything. And what's interesting, you've got Saji Javid, a former banker, knows the way interest rates work, is making exactly the same case. And he's got an interesting Baxter as well, such a Javid, about growing up in a brother's shop in a crowded flat with that kind of yep. stuff. Dad, a, dad was a bus driver. Yeah, exactly. Even though he's a multimillionaire now, he's still he's coming from sort of humble beginnings, so maybe that'll resonate. Um, let's do this week's quiz, shall we? It is a budget quiz. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know what I've done it before. Can you make right, this okay. interesting? So, uh, <laughs> that means everyone else has got an advantage. Yeah, because people fun. really listen, don't they? <laughs> You're right, okay. sliding into sleep there, okay? Yeah, fine, thanks. Okay, you can ask the first question. Gladstone... Mm. gave the longest budget speech in 1853. We've absolutely done this already. How long did it last? Was oh, it no. Four hours, 45 minutes, five hours, 50 minutes, or three hours, 45 minutes? We've done this before. Haven't How we? on yeah, earth are we supposed to know this? Four hours, 40 minutes. I'm going to go the long, I'm going to go long, the longest. 5.50. Yeah. Ned? I'll do the shorter one. Kate was right. Four hours 45 minutes yes what i'm the only he, one who's not done it before what did he drink during the speech Ooh. was it milk was it egg and sherry was it gin and apple juice i'm gonna say egg and sherry that sounds disgusting <laughs> well yeah i'm gonna oh. say milk i'm going for gin that's what i'd have it was egg and sherry Israeli oh. nice. once did it Drinking milk. What throughout? Well, I knew someone. How, did. how many eggs would you drink? Three Did you crack the egg as you're speaking? Oh. I, I have no more information. Is it a coddled egg like Corbyn's? Sure, why not? It's a Scotch <laughs> egg. It's a cream <laughs> egg. Uh, which year was the budget first broadcast on television? Ooh. Was it 1988, Ned? Was it 1989, or was it 1990? 90. Oh, for no reason. When did Parliament get televised? Okay. I'm going to say 88. I'm going to say 90 as well. It is 1990. Hmm. Do you know who it was? The Ch- Chancellor? John Major? Major? Yeah, the only budget he gave. Two Chancellors did not deliver a budget. Ooh. Name either. Ooh. That's a good question. That's a really good question. Thank you very much. Do not know the answer. I know you don't. I've got no idea. I've no, mentioned I don't one have. before. Ooh. Already? Oh, no. And it's is it not, Roy Jenkins? It's not Roy Jenkins. <laughs> Oh, crikey. <laughs> Don't know. Uh, Lord Randolph Churchill wrote a budget, quit before he could deliver it. Right. Ah. Mm. And the other one, do you know, Paul? No. If I said 1970 to you? Reggie Maudling? No. 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 I'm talking Ian, about something else. Ian McLeod. Ian McLeod. He died. Mm. Sorry, he died. He was, yeah. He, he Major's was, hero. 
Was he? Yeah. Well, because he died. No. All no. oh, right. Anyway, chancellor for a month, and then he died. So there we are. Uh, Hugh Dalton leaked his own budget to a London newspaper in 1947. Yeah. Uh, no, apparently it was the Star. No, was it? Yeah. Oh. Along with a penny on a pint, what other measure was published by the oh. Star before the Chancellor got a chance to announce it? Was it a tax on tea? Was it a tax on pigeon racing? Or was it a tax on dog racing? Ooh. Dogs, I reckon. I'm going to go for dogs. Dogs. It was dogs. Yeah. yeah. That was this week's quiz. <laughs> Full <laughs> of energy, that one, wasn't it? Probably going to repeat it next week as well. Great. Right? Not. <laughs> so there we are. Uh, so we've got the budget next week. Um, we've got more, we've got more we've got more Brexit stuff, haven't we? More Brexit debate next week, is yeah, there? Yeah, loads of it. Mm. The good okay. stuff. Is it? Yeah. Get excited. Let's not talk about Brexit next yeah, week. Yeah, Tuesday, there's going to actually be a proper vote on uni- um, Charter of Fundamental Rights. So that could get oh, quite yeah. tight. So. Oh, my, one of my favourite charters. Um, so there we are, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this week's podcast, and we'll uh, we'll speak to you next week. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.